talent gets you through the door and, and hard work keeps you there. How much is that individual looking to self-develop? Are they reporting back to you on blogs that they've read? Or are they looking into the reports that you've done or they've done at a more deeper level? Or are they taking themselves to events to learn more? All of these things are really good indicators of an individual that works really hard. I, I was looking for people CVs that look similar to mine and, and with that you get a type of, of team that replicates yourself which in, in some ways is, is, is good because you don't necessarily have that friction but I think the diversity of thought that you lose from that is huge. When people mention OCD you know lots of people go oh I've got OCD. It must just be a case of he wants everything at a right angle like David Beckham. The plug went off and it sat on fire. And, and as a seven, eight year old, you probably shouldn't be showing that content to kids. But anyway, that, that stuck with me. Then I start to worry about that happening within my own house at like the ages of, of kind of eight or nine. So the obsession was there in relation to that thought that the house was gonna burn down. And then the compulsion was there in relation to making sure that all of the plugs were checked before I went to bed. Welcome to another episode of Big Risk Energy. And on this episode, I'm blessed to be joined by the one and only Oli Tarpi. Oli, thanks so much for coming on the show. No worries. Excited to be on uh, this side of the table. We've been watching from the outside, but uh, yeah, to be on the inside. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice, good. So you've had a super exciting journey, right? Mm-hmm. You started off uh, in agency mm-hmm. uh, and you're now the VP of marketing of one of the fastest growing startups in the UK, yep. launching in Miami soon. Yeah. Um, how 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 do you go on that journey and what is your advice to anyone looking to go on a similar journey to yourself? Yeah, I think that the the advice if we take it back to the start is how to break in to the industry because, you know, you come out of university and I was on the business and management course, which I think 80% of the university were on the course uh, when, I, when I went. And you've got all of these people who were interested in media and marketing as a potential avenue. So you've got a high level of, of kind of competition that you're starting upon with. So when you're trying to break into that industry or into that sector when it comes to media and marketing, you need to do something differently when it comes to potentially standing out. Now so even more than when I was doing it 10 years ago. And I think that breaking in level in terms of the amount of research and detail that goes into those interviews, even at when you're looking at placements or internships is really, really key. So you need to show, obviously the basics is around how you research that organization, but you need to really go into that at a deep level in regards to which clients are they working with, things that they've changed across potentially their senior leadership team, their press reports, if it's a bigger corporate entity. The level of detail that you need to go into at an internship level to break through is really, really key in that first interview. And then once you've got your foot through the door, then it's about hard work in regards to, mm. to keeping you there. That That's the really key thing when you're, when you're first breaking in, I would say. So it's all about ambition really, right? Yep. Because it's all about saying, well, if I want to get from A to B, mm-hmm you know, this is the level of commitment, dedication, meticulousness yep. required yep. To, to make it to that level. And is that something that you've always had? Yeah, I think when you when you say uh, meticulousness, that was really, really key. So I started off in an agency environment and I, the media discipline that I was in was it was within print and out of home advertising. So within that, the, the discipline needed is huge because you are putting together adverts by which they're going out to print or going out 
up on billboards. If you make one single mistake there in relation to a, a, a client, then the consequences of that are huge, especially mm -hmm. as you're somebody starting off on your career for the first time. So the level of detail that you have to go in in regards to checking things is really, really important. So for instance, if you are putting an advert in a newspaper and you get the specs wrong, that advert isn't running and you've lost that space and you've incurred that cost mm. to the client and you as the as the media provider you or the media agency owner if you make the mistake you're responsible for it and you're responsible for that budget so it's really really key that you have that meticulous nature and i think that's what working within that environment gave me is that rigor and, and discipline around things i think today actually is, is a lot you know we were speaking about harder to break into the industry but it's actually a lot easier in some senses within the industry because with digital if you make a mistake or you do something wrong you can change it within mm. seconds there's uh, no edit the, button on print yeah there's no yeah. edit button when it comes to printed newspapers and out of home advertising where you've got you know three month spans in in relation to planning it and buying the media space so mm. uh, i think that meticulous nature is really really important and then you speak about kind of determination in regards to progressing i think when i was in within that agency i always tried to look into those people that were exceeding where they should have been within their career path so agencies you've got all of these different career steps and these different levels so you've probably got to the ceo and, and managing director in a 300 person agency you've probably got around 16 to 17 different levels that you've got to progress through before you're the before you're the boss or you're the top of that agency so there's a lot to get through so i i tried to base my career in those initial stages as to right okay who are the executives or who are the the account directors that look a lot younger than everybody else and what are the behaviors that they're showing and mm. trying to replicate those as much as possible and and that was the immersive experience that i got from that uh you know that first role nice that's great and i think that's great advice like mm -hmm. you know try and emulate people who are where you want to be yeah you know yeah. and i think it's so um it's really great it's interesting because sometimes people have too much ego about these things they're yeah. like oh i want to do it my way i'm gonna yeah. do it my way and yeah. do things you know they want to be a bit maverick yeah. about it yeah. which sometimes work yep sometimes works but 90 percent of the time it's a case of actually being humble and being like okay that is clearly working yeah, yeah. and that's a really good way especially at the start yeah, yeah. you know where you can take bigger risks as you you know get more of a reputation more trust in an organization but at the start it's like no, do, do what works yeah 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 and you, to, to, you don't know what works when you're 19 years of age mm. within an agency uh, and you're, you're you know you're within a discipline that is more let's call it traditional media you you don't know the answer so you have to watch and you have to like we were saying before, immerse yourself in those individuals that have that experience and draw upon the good things that they do, watch the negatives. It's a bit like kind of when you're taking up a, a sport or, or managers managers for the first time, as you really look at those experience, you see the things that they do really, really well and, and concentrate on those, but you also see the things that they do badly and try and cut those out when you step through those levels, I guess. Mm, yeah. yeah, and I think back to the point you made on... Um, you know, getting things right for print. Mm -hmm. I think, although obviously social does have edit buttons and you can mm -hmm. redo things, mm -hmm. I'm sure that in the same way that Google, from an SEO perspective, really takes into account quality of content, mm -hmm. 
yeah, I'm sure LinkedIn and Instagram, they're all doing the same, right? And even though you can get away with making mistakes, yep. for sure, having that level of, of rigor yep. when it comes to the content you're creating, yep. not making mistakes is still maybe not as key, but surely it plays a huge part. Yeah, yeah, I, I glossed over that point loosely, and obviously you, do, you don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to, you want to avoid those mistakes as much as possible. But I think, you know, even on on LinkedIn, for instance, if you are to edit the post within the first five or, or ten seconds, like that will downweight you in reg- mm. in relation to the to the algorithm. So you, you know, you want those those rigor and discipline, even in you know digital marketing today. It's important that you know you have everything set up across that team, whether it's different Asana boards or whether it's within Notion, and you've got that rigor and discipline around checking the copy because it's when you're running across we spoke about connected and and running a global brand you've got suddenly you've got four or five channels that you're across you've got two to three posts that are going out every day the opportunity to have a mistake within that is Mm -hmm. high and I I think that is really one of the main things that I learned within that agency was about you know documentation Mm -hmm. about planning things out and it really has helped shape my my career there's lots of things that i didn't enjoy about that role but there's lots of things that i i taken from it mm. and yeah it's led me to that path now where i've been able to progress into that vp of marketing role yeah yeah and what made you decide to leave agency and go uh in-house i guess yeah 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 so in in-house was a, a big big decision um i was still i think i made that decision when i was 21 or 22 so i was I did my undergraduate placement at an agency and then worked there two days a week while I was still at university. And then within a week of finishing my degree, I was back kind of full time. So I worked there for about three years in in total. And I started to, we we spoke about all of those different levels. I started to look at that and started to realize, oh, actually, maybe this is a little bit of a con within the system. And you're, Mm. you're nudging up these promotions sort of every 12 months and you're driving towards that. But I'll never progress to where I want to get to quickly. And, you know, I'm a determined individual and Mm. I wanted to be in charge of a department pretty quickly. And that's not being... Uh, arrogant in any sense but that's where I wanted to get to and I, I start to look at this agency and I start to look at all of the people within it like we spoke about I just thought this this isn't quite going to happen here mm. so I decided to make the leap of faith in-house so it was actually working for a client that was within that agency so I had to do uh, six months at a non-compete so I had to go and work in a a signs agency as an account a manager, that, uh, uh, an account manager in an agency a that signs. produced signs. Yeah, so signs. like signs. Yeah, so it's like uh, your signs that you have outside of the shop. Yeah. This didn't come up when so, we were discussing before. <laughs> so I had to do a, a six month like non compete. So I had to go and work in a totally different business before I could go and work for that client because there was there was a competition level between the right. agency and the client. Basically, you are not allowed to move from an agency straight to the client so i had to do six months here in between but anyway that's 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 a different story and that's a totally different industry very very boring yeah um but we won't get into that um so yeah i I made that kind of leap of faith and the world was totally different Mm. when i stepped into that organization so it was still an early stage startup there were 25 us i think at the time and we had this big 100 person office and it was yeah it was a world Sounds apart from, right. from yeah from this 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 80 person office with 80 people in there who'd been working there for years and years and years so the differences were 
so vast mm. um, in regards to the environment, in regards to the culture, in regards to the process. And I think one of the first things that I learned was around that process and being able to just take that leap of faith for yourself. But with that, with every task that you were doing, there was no kind of there was no kind of backup and support like mm. I previously would have had within this huge agency that I was working in before. Yeah, yeah, I understand. And it was 25 people when you joined. Um, what did you guys scale that to? We scaled it to 110 people, mm -hmm. so across the US and UK, and we grew really quickly. So we grew that number in the space of sort of two to two and a half years. Mm -hmm. So the growth trajectory across the different divisions, whether that be marketing, sales, CS and also different geographies was yeah very very quick and with that trying to retain the culture was mm. was challenging at times mm. I think yeah. Yeah, yeah I can I can imagine that and yeah. it's it is of course a, a real challenge mm -hmm. um so what did you learn about culture in that startup versus what you see and what you want to bring to connected as part of scaling your team here because yeah. I imagine you know get startup for the first time versus startup second time you know it's a very different wheelhouse that you're working with yeah definitely and I think there are different things that you can draw upon that experience in relation to how I, I think one of the things that I learned within that organization was about satisfying the needs of the investor and also the owner of that, uh, the CEO of that that business. So we only had a, a singular investor and we had a CEO who was a kind of minority shareholder. Mm -hmm. And the objectives within that startup were, and the culture was driven by those two individuals and satisfying the demands of those individuals. So you had to learn very quickly as to what they liked and how they responded and mm. judging that character and shaping your decisions around that because they were fundamental to driving the business and also driving more investment into the business and also the the growth so there's lots of things in regards to s speed and and moving at action that i think i was able to take from that experience and bring through to connected mm -hmm. i think if i hadn't had that experience jumping straight into a high scale startup like connected moving at speed I, I wouldn't have been able to do it at the same mm. level so that five-year experience uh, there's so many things within that that I'm able to to pull out in today's you know examples when it whether that be coaching the team or whether that be communicating with senior leadership team or advising the investors about why we've taken specific decisions so I think all of those experiences have been crucial. And now with all the experience that you've had, would you suggest to someone looking to break into marketing to start with an agency or start with a starter? Mm, good question. I get this question a lot um, because I try and work with some of the universities and, and this is a, a question that sometimes comes up, particularly when we are uh, speaking to potential placement students at Connected as well is that question. And I think for me, I would always try to be exposed to their agency the first time round, especially if it is a well I say I'm gonna I'm gonna step back on that answer actually and say really it's about the size of the organization mm. that you go and work with I think it could be you could go and work in-house for a marketing team um, within a marketing team and if it's a 80 100 person company then go and do that and the same with an agency but I feel like if you work in a small agency or you work in a small startup for the first time, I think it's going to be 
more difficult for you to learn because you're mm. not going to be exposed to those individuals within the team. You might be working with one manager as opposed to working with a team of eight or ten people that you can draw down on their mm. experience from. So I think it's it's about learning from others in those early stages and, and going to work for a larger company. Obviously, there's exceptions to the rule of, of people that feel more comfortable being involved in a startup straight away. But for me, I would always try and get that experience and then leverage that and then go and work in-house or with a startup. Yeah, yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me. And I guess from what we've discussed, you know, previously, mentorship, you know, bringing people through something you're really passionate about and something you've done in the sports world as well. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And I think the sports world has, has really kind of helped me in that environment. So when I was 21, uh, I, I started managing uh, and, and coaching an adults football team. And and where, when we're at twenty one, at twenty one, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was quite an interesting experience because when I'm talking about adults, there I'm talking about a mix of people from sixteen right the way through to forty. So mm. in terms of that mentorship and advice you can give, you're suddenly exposed to a whole host of individuals that you previously uh, are not communicating with. Mm. I think that's the, the the challenge by going to the university a little bit within the UK is that you gravitate to those certain groups and you become a, a tribe at university and then you don't really mix mm-hmm. out, out outside of that and one of the things that football coaching gave me the exposure to is meeting a wide variety of people from a wide variety of backgrounds and then with that developing communication styles that worked within them mm-hmm. and also when I was working within that coaching role we were often taking uh, individuals uh, from a sports background that had just been released from an academy, for instance, mm. and we needed to give them the confidence or give them the the discipline, whatever that might have been, to help them reprogress within their sports career. So mm. I think doing that over a period of sort of five to six years and delivering that advice and that communication style in that sports environment it really helped me when it came into a work environment. So for mm. instance, if you're, you know, if you've done training with somebody twice a week and then they're turning up on a Saturday and they're not getting paid to play football and then you're telling them they're on the bench or they're not in the squad and you're having to have these difficult conversations with people that are 10, 15 years older than you or five, six years older than you, but you've got their, they're younger than you, but you've got their parents there asking questions. These are the, the sort of tricky conversations that, and, and developing that communication style that's really important for when it comes to mentoring younger people within mm. the workplace, I think. Wow, and it's it's really interesting because I, I imagine that when someone gets released from an academy, mm-hmm. especially if they've got probably a bit of ego, which you need to yep. be, you yep. know, to, to progress in, in professional sports and elite yep. sports, so probably a very bruised ego yeah. coming in at this stage, yeah. and probably a lot of like depression, difficult yeah. times. Yeah. So there must be a massive um, psychological coaching element to that. Uh, absolutely, and we did, you know, courses with the uh, football association. We we brought in counsellors, therapists to to kind of support that because, mm. you know, suddenly, if you're spending you know hours with that individual uh, coaching in the evenings and also, you know, the most the majority of the Saturday supporting that individual, you you are supporting them through, arguably the biggest change of their life mm. to to today. You know, if you if you think about some of the careers that these individuals have had they maybe start a football academy at six seven years of age the next 10 years of their life has all been spent Mm. focused on school academy and that is their 
identity and to have that ripped away and then to try and nurture them back into mm. something is, is, is really is really difficult. You go away from, you know, an academy at, you know, a, a tier one club like a, a a Burnley FC as an example. Maybe maybe not a tier, tier one club. One tier, tier one example, but a tier one <laughs> a tier one example when it comes to their academy and, right, and, right. and the facilities that they have available. So you, you take somebody out of that environment and then you ask them to go and play on a on a, a, a poor pitch with mm. like 15 people watching around the side of the pitch and they're having to you know sometimes wash their own kit after or pay for their 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 subs fees or their league fees this it's really different and it's a mm. big shock to the system and it's a big thing for them to to get their 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 head round and a bit like you know a phrase that we used to we used before is like I think it's, it's talent gets you through the door and, and hard work keeps you there. Mm. And I and I think, you know, this this was a big mantra that we had within our football club that I was supporting at the time. But getting them into the mindset of that big change is, is mm. huge. It's huge. Mm. It's really and was difficult. that, would you say that was the vast, like the majority of the driver behind why people were being released from academies? Is, does it always come down to that work ethic? I think, it, yeah, I think the work ethic is, is huge. And I think it's exa exactly the same, you know, when, you, when we're translating that into work environments, you can have people that are uber talented in regards to ideas or creativity, but if they don't have the rigor and discipline mm. around, you know, whether that be delivering a presentation on time or whether that be, you know, in a, in a sports environment in relation to them, them being on time for matches or, or studying their, their clips and the research, all of those things, I think the, the hard work is imperative for, mm. for, for success. So now that you're hiring um, and into an expanding team, mm -hmm. um, how do you try to account and measure for hard work and work ethic? Yeah, really, really good, uh, really good question. Um, I have to think about that one for a second. <laughs> How do you measure hard work? I think a lot of this is is evidenced through. Well, it's it's a mix of things. So the first of which is being really clear about what you define as result success. Mm. So setting those KPIs in line with the business OKRs, for instance, and making it really clear what those objectives are for individuals, particularly in marketing, right, where you can hide behind specific numbers or you can hide behind mm. different uh, projects. I think when, when you are looking for, for kind of hard work and understanding of that, I think you can match that quite closely to, to those results if you set them clearly. I think the other things that you look for, or certainly I, I look for in relation to hard work, is really about education. So how much is that individual looking to self-develop in relation to, okay, are they reporting back to you on blogs that they've read? Or are they looking into the reports that you've done or they've done at a more deeper level? Or are they taking themselves to events to, to learn more. I think that all of these things are, are really good indicators of an individual that works really hard, mm. I think. But also, you have to also be cognizant as well of, you know, hard work is, is one of the factors that you're, you're looking for and it's a, a main driver, but you also have to be aware of 
other other factors that you might want to bring into a marketing or organization and i think this this is a big not failing but a, a big part of self-reflection that when i when i first built that team out in an in in-house role i think what i looked for was replicas mm. of myself as mm -hmm. much as possible and and just thought about right okay if i was in that situation i would want the answers to the request the interview answer to be like this or i i, I was looking for people cvs that look similar to mine mm. and and with that you get you know you you get a, a type of of team that replicates yourself which mm -hmm. in, in some ways is 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 good um because you don't necessarily have that friction but i think the diversity of thought that mm. you lose from that is 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 is, is huge like yeah and, and I, I think that that's been a big part of what I've learned within that first experience to the, to the second experience. Mm, 100%, 100%, it's really interesting. Like, um, it, it is exactly that. And I think uh, with iterations that I had in real sport, you know, yeah. our first group of, of hires versus the second group of hires, which ended yeah. up to be our, you yeah. know, like like the, the hires that stayed with us for yeah. the whole journey to exit, like, it's exactly that. Yeah. We're looking for people similar to ourselves and we realize actually, yeah we hate ourselves yeah let's, let's let's get people who are so radically different to us this is yeah. a much better idea yeah. um so yeah 100 percent. um and i think when we talk about hiring as well one of the things that we are really um accommodating of and passionate about in um connected mm -hmm. is obviously looking at neurodiversity mental yep. health all those sorts of things um now we've discussed briefly uh mm -hmm. obviously adhd dyslexia yeah. ocd yeah is that is that neurodiversity? Is that mental health? How does that? How does that actually sit? I'm fascinated. I, I, I'm also fascinated as to which category it sits within because I I see it more and more, you know, within uh, neurodiversity mm -hmm. uh, pieces. But I think largely it's it's fallen within the category of kind of mental health. But really, does it really does it really matter? If Two sides of the same coin. Yeah, right? e e e exactly. And I think how you categorize it doesn't have any impact on on how you potentially feel mm. um i think we you know we, we we've spoken about it uh, you know tangentially and I've, I've always skirted maybe perhaps a, around the subject but i've really i guess learned over the past well learned throughout my life how to harness the power of ocd mm. and use that in a kind of a positive manner but that hasn't always been the case you know ocd is a really challenging subject to kind of understand and, and explain because you know when when people mention OCD you know lots of people go oh I've got OCD mm. or, or, or it must just be a case of you know he wants everything at a right angle like David mm -hmm. Beckham or mm -hmm. he, he wants everything in, in uh, clean for instance but there are varying levels of of severity around um, kind of OCD and I suffer from I say suffer but have challenges around uh, one of the most serious uh, types of OCD. Some people call it pure O. Uh, mm -hmm. And within that OCD, the, the, the term for it is obsession, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm -hmm. So when I was much younger, I had kind of the OCD in its more typical fashion. So examples of that would be, I remember actually, this is this is a bad marketing uh, idea, but I remember being at school, and you you you've probably you, you've probably searched back to these incidents. But we had like a, a presentation with with something on the TV screen, and it was kind of this example where, where you had I think it was like a scale electrics 
track and you had all of these different plugs plugged into it and the plug went off and it set on fire and and as a seven eight year old you probably shouldn't be showing that content to kids but anyway that that stuck with me and kind of then i start to worry about that happening within my own house at like the ages of of kind of eight or nine so then i got into the so the obsession was there in relation to that thought that the house was going to burn Mm. down and then the compulsion was there in relation to making sure that all of the plugs were checked Mm. before i went to bed and that 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 sounds quite strange obviously uh but it it was like a big thing for me and that that happened when i was like eight or nine and that happened all the way through till i was yeah probably about 16 17 Mm. and there was varying degrees of of time within that that i was kind of suffering around that uh, the challenges around that sometimes it would take me half an hour to check them sometimes Mm. it would take me two hours wow um and but I could kind of satisfy the obsessive force by doing the compulsion, which was checking everything. Mm. I guess where it steps into another kind of level, and I can only speak about kind of myself and my own experience here, is that when I was kind of 17, I had a more life-changing event, and it's going to sound really, really strange when when I say this, and it's not something that I often share with people because it, it, it sounds quite strange but I was at a festival and I just want to caveat there was no sort of it, this is going to sound like I was having some sort of acid attack or I was on I was on drugs but I can you I, know psychedelics <laughs> is a favourite topic yeah, in this podcast there, there, was, yeah. there, there was no psychedelics involved I was only 17 uh, but yeah I, I kind of threw a pair of plastic sunglasses in the air this, this uh, festival and I just switched in thinking that somehow in my head as soon as i've thrown the sunglasses up in the air that i'd murdered somebody by accident wow and, and i as in like what if it landed yeah what if it landed someone? it right, hit somebody right right right, right yeah there, there was how obvi- big were these glasses these glasses were just some plastic <laughs> yeah, sunglasses yeah, okay. they had no weight to them yeah. there was no evidence to kind of suggest that but but in my mind wow i'd 100 percent, you know committed this heinous crime and wow. there was this uh, murderer. So th- this is this obsession that that then couldn't be switched off by the compulsion. Right. There was there was no there was no checking around that. There was like it, it wouldn't it wouldn't switch off mm. this this kind of thought this this intrusive thought. So I guess maybe it is more of a mental health rather than mm. neurodiversity. But the the it was this in, persistent intrusive thought, and with that comes whole feelings of kind of guilt or shame because mm. you in your head at that time you think that you have done that 100 percent. there's no wow. there's no other you know in percentage terms like you you've committed that crime and it mm. it kind of uh, when i was when i was 18 uh, kind of this was just before i was about to start university and i think this is one of the the things that people sometimes don't understand with with the ocd is that or, or any mental illness is that sometimes it can be triggered by positive stress. Mm. So if you're looking forward to something in relation to university or you're, something's gone well at, at work, it can often be a trigger for uh, you know something to, to flare up. And I, I think it's something that, that people don't talk about very often. But any, anyway, I was, I kind of, um, this went on when I was kind of 18 and it got to the point where 
by, I couldn't get out of the house. So I couldn't walk down the street without checking over my shoulder to, I thought that I've had nudge you or even if I walked past you, I'd knock you over and I'd wow. murdered you. Man, this sounds like I was no. I was going crazy. Like this, this, this. Sound... I've, I've lost my mind many times. <laughs> I understand. This, yeah. This, yeah, this is. It does sound really, really strange speaking about it. And you know, when I was eighteen at that time, particularly, it's not the sort of thing that you go to your mates and go. Well, this <laughs> yeah. is it, right? Yeah. It's often very much in isolation when you have these things yeah. and you're going into these loops, and you're like, "Does everyone else know what I'm talking about?" Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was, it was really, really scary. Like there was nobody that I could really speak to about. It. I was, you know, having these thoughts for obviously the first time in my life, and I was, you know, convinced that I'd, I'd done these these horrible things. And fortunately, I was managed to to kind of seek help and you know over the years of, of kind of therapy you mm. understand about how to expose yourself to these thoughts about how to how to kind of manage them and and i i guess where it it ties back into kind of things from a work environment is more along the lines of my my therapist kind of gives a really good analogy by which he says that people with severe ocd like it's like riding a, a wild horse so you can it can be really powerful mm -hmm. if you know how to ride the horse, but mm -hmm. it can be really destructive because the wild horse will go left and, and, and right and you, you can't control it. But mm. if you can control it, it means that you can go a lot yeah, quicker yeah, yeah. In, in one specific uh, route. So Wow. That's, Incredible. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. Such a, it's <laughs> such so insightful as well, and it's, yeah. it's fascinating to learn about because I feel like in all the conversation about mental health, neurodiversity, yeah. like OCD is not yeah. really discussed in that way, and that was super educational for mm -hmm. me. So in terms of um, managing mm -hmm. that, uh, mm -hmm. is that like meditation? Is that What does that look like? Yeah, I think it's a mix of a whole host of things. So it's a mix of mental exercises. Mm -hmm. It's a mix of... Uh, meditation, medication at, at times, um, and then it's about uh, you know forcing the triggers mm -hmm. that like having suffered with it for sort of ten, eleven, twelve mm. years, you can start to anticipate okay when when there might be a challenge and when you might need to go in back in and kind of expose yourself to those thoughts or have a session with your therapist or mm. concentrate on more meditation. But you know you have to really work hard to keep on top of it and it has been a, a kind of life-changing event but mm. you know one of the things that I'm keen to speak about is kind of the positives of how you can harness that to mm. use it as you know you speak about it yourself about you know a superpower and you, you can really do that you yeah know, when it comes to the workplace environment you know you can because you've got a, I kind of talk about it like a, a pain threshold in a, in mm -hmm. a way like You've, you've gone to it with a mental pain threshold and you know all of the stresses associated with that. So when it comes to things that might typically uh, drive stress within an individual within a workplace, you can be very calm and mm. measured in your response to those because you know that in comparison to where you've been before, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not as heavy as maybe. A hundred percent from a resilience perspective, yeah. it's like, I think I've killed someone I'm spending, yeah. <laughs> you know, no, but I mean, yeah. seriously, like yeah, yeah. the stress related yeah, to that, a hundred percent, like yeah, from yeah. A, a cortisol tolerance yeah. perspective, let's call it, I can imagine. Yeah. And um, out of interest, and, and, you know, we don't need to go down this, this path if not, but I find it fascinating mm -hmm. is um, when that sunglasses incident happened, mm -hmm. 
did you remember what happened with the initial Scalectrix thing? Was that something that you uncovered later as like being a, a thread between them? Yeah, it was something that I uncovered later. Yeah. And, and again, this is one of the things why I'm keen to speak more about it now yeah. is because I feel like, and, and that's why I drew it back in an elongated way to the to the start of the process with the plugs and the, the Scalectrix mm -hmm. is because if between the ages of eight to 17, I'd understood what this was, what 100%. this OCD, then yeah. I would have been able to have it treated early and, and yeah. hopefully, you know, I would have never got to that point by which, you know, it, it drove such significant yeah. impact. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, and I think this is this is why it's important to talk about these things, but mm. sort of 10, 15, 20, 20 years ago when that is, it was, who knows what this is? It's just yeah, being yeah. weird. He's just checking the plugs, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's just Ollie. That's just his thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So yeah. interesting, man. And it's because it's, a lot of people talk about um, ADHD as like a trauma response. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, people, are, we're at such a, nascent stage of understanding around all of mental health we don't understand the mind we yeah. think we might do a little yeah, bit yeah. we don't really understand anything um and you know adhd is trauma response and potentially it sounds like um obsessive uh, the obsessive element could be a trauma response mm -hmm. as well like mm -hmm. something traumatic happens yep. i want to ensure it doesn't happen to me yep. or something like that yep. so the mind's fascinating man it, uh, sorry yeah on. yeah no 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 to your your point there it can be like something on the news you, mm. you see an incident about somebody that is it's, it's happened to them they've mm. gone to prison they go, oh, no, have i done that so uh, but it's about uh, educating yourself through those instances and you start to learn over lots of therapy mm. sessions about where those triggers yeah are. it's fascinating because i remember when i was a kid i did if you remember the show 911 what's your emergency or something like that yeah is that like or maybe like Maybe that's the newer one, but there was some show like that when I was a kid on the BBC. Mm -hmm. I remember the fireworks night special. <laughs> Destroyed me. <laughs> I, was, I couldn't I couldn't be near a firework for yeah. 15 years. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was literally that. Like yeah, yeah. Nothing happened to me. It was just yeah. what I saw happen on the thing. Like, yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. Um, but on the positive sides of it, yeah. like, uh, and I don't know if this comes into play, but how you know meticulous mm -hmm. you are with numbers mm -hmm. and campaigns, you know we're blessed to yeah, have yeah, that yeah, element yeah. of the of the superpower yeah, yeah. in there. Yeah. So I think that's what it is. Like it's education, and ultimately with everything in life, as difficult as it gets in one part, means it can be as strong in the other, right? It, it, exactly for sure. And you know, it was managed to drive it. You know, that three months where that first happened, that was a really really scary process. But the process of education and learning and and developing over the next sort of two to three years really helped me in in good stead. And those lessons that I learned there. I'm able to draw down upon those, you know, within my career. And I, I think it has been my superpower mm. in regards to going back to what we discussed at the start of the conversation, which is how did you get from there to there in traditional terms quite quickly? Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a superpower. Love that, man. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, my five questions, yeah. as you know. First one is, what's the single biggest risk you've ever taken and what was the outcome? Uh, I think single biggest risk was probably making that leap of faith from agency, structured career, throwing myself into the deep end with this startup, with this founder who I knew was going to be challenging because I'd, I'd worked with him before. Go into more depth yeah. than that. <laughs> no, I probably won't go into more depth about that. But um, and, and working with somebody else who I knew was really, really challenging, but I knew that that risk was worth taking because mm. the rewards were, were, were great. And I'm so, so glad I, I did that. Mm. And it's interesting. So even though you felt actually it would be that challenging environment yeah, yeah. from like a cultural perspective or something like that, mm -hmm. still though you felt um, 
you know, and what was it more the actually going in house, the opportunity for mobility? Was it the product that you saw? Like, what was it that you were like, even though this is going to be yeah. a bit of a shit <laughs> yeah. show in yeah. some ways, yeah. what was the drive to be like, I'm going? I think I think it was it was the opportunity to grow within that organization, mm. both uh, within myself, but also the ability to, you know, have divisions and skip through those levels at a greater speed. Like I was confident enough to know that, you know, when I got my opportunity, when it came to managing teams, I could drive effectiveness. I just knew that it was going to take me another 10, 15 years to get there within an agency. I could do that within a startup within the space of a year, two years if I worked hard. Mm. So I think that was the main opportunity and I, 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 you know one of the things that I always self-reflect and I, I look back on is a question of like was that the the right move because with within that five years and, and working within that organization it was really challenging and there was some really difficult cultural issues there was you know difficult financial issues mm. there was a, a whole host of of challenges as well as positives and in a way that five years like when I look back on that now seems like a bit of a blur uh, and I don't really remember what happened within I know you, you've spoken about it in certain instances within your kind of 20s about mm. it being a little bit of a blur in regards to like your personal life as to what happened there well, that's like, definitely because I lived too hard in the 20s <laughs> but yeah no, yeah no no I know exactly what you mean but, but you, you commit yourself to something mm. and then where, where does it go and I, I, I'm kind of torn because it gave me great experiences that mm. I'm able to draw down but then I also think if I was in my 20s, I, I kind of lost a lot of time there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, a mix. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting. And uh, But I think when you have those really challenging environments, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, although real sport was a, was a great outcome, we had many, many challenging moments, you know, it does make you realize that it's, it is about what you learn on the journey. Mm-hmm. And actually, because the, what, getting to the end point is the end point, whether it's positive or negative or whatever it is, mm-hmm. it can never be about the outcome. Yeah right yeah. because yeah. the outcome is True. literally one moment yes, yes and the second that moment passes <laughs> yeah it's over yeah right the moments that we spend are the moments on the journey so it's all about what we learn along yeah. the way um and we could go very philosophical <laughs> on that but we'll, we'll we'll pull back okay my next one for you is um what are you proudest of i i think proudest of um would be a, a, a kind of football experience so um, one of the clubs that I was able to, to, to coach at and manage at be brought into when I kind of joined the club we had uh, a development team that was sitting bottom of the league mm-hmm. they got five points in the previous season I think they scored about five goals as well over a 30 game season so so the bar was the bar was pretty low sounds like connected FC <laughs> yeah yeah well we were so slightly better at connected FC and that is a benchmark of how poor this team was um but then we had a, a kind of a, a first team as well that was also bottom of the league I think they'd had the mighty total of about six points so it was it was a really challenging environment you had lots of people who were despondent uh, you had lots of people that had left the club and then it was this whole process of trying to rejuvenate things from from top to bottom and that doesn't just relate to kind of the coaching it, it meant bringing in different committee members it meant bringing in a new um, somebody who looked after the, the the pitch somebody who looked after the finances so it was this whole experience that I was brought in and, and kind of what it really gave me was the opportunity to kind of influence people within my management style and, and bring them all on this journey and um, the first team ended up getting promoted and and so did the team that I was managing which was the development team at the time and that was the first time that the club had had any sort of 
success quote unquote in the past sort of 15 years and to come away with kind of a trophy at the end of that and all of these people that we brought along the journey I think for me that was the like proudest achievement that I've had to date albeit not a work experience but a football experience <laughs> it's okay I'll just assume work, work was excluded yeah, from yeah. That. Uh, no, that's amazing that must be also super fun yeah yeah it was, it was great and yeah. it was like super rewarding like you say about like you know footballers and, and having the, the, the buzz associated with playing professionally or semi-professionally amateurs that you know winning as, as kind of a team like for me anyway like it's very hard to replicate that the the success that comes with that so really really enjoyed that opportunity nice yeah. like that okay cool um is there anything that you wish you did differently i think wish i did differently i think one thing that i would change within my work experience is probably to travel more um mm. you're probably looking at me going ollie you take loads of holidays uh <laughs> so how that you've yeah, just come back from Shreve. yeah yeah how, how the hell do you need to take more holidays but i i think it, between the ages of of 21 and starting that agency experience and now you know uh coming to work for connected i didn't take any sort of holidays mm. i was always every weekend was was football and obviously monday to friday was was work and sometimes sunday as well so taking holidays was was not an option and i think we spoke about again about speaking to people outside of your traditional culture or your your tribe whatever you describe them as or your workplace being able to be immersed in different cultures i think again helps you when it comes to that mentorship that coaching mm. that that delivery and i think that's that's one thing that i would do differently in my mm. 20s yeah it's really interesting i mean i i do totally agree with you in terms of um obviously like traveling being such an incredible thing yeah. but you're right like we you know we were i don't want to say unfortunate but we were the last sort of people in our 20s yeah. who didn't have hybrid working yeah yeah you know we, yeah. we were the last generation yeah. that will have spent most of its 20s yeah. at the office five days a week as a standard thing yeah and you know it, i don't feel hard done by, by no that, no by no, any no means no. right because that was just the reality yeah, of the situation yeah, yeah. but you know you will see um every generation now yeah. you know especially when you bring in hybrid working with cheap, cheap travel yeah. i mean whilst you know the southern hemisphere is still <laughs> visitable yeah um but, you know, I, I think uh, absolutely people will have the luxury of having much, I don't want to say fuller lives, but more, you know, more more well-traveled lives. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a really good thing. And obviously yeah. something that even with some of our most senior members, such as yourself, um, you know, able to support people to have a bit more work-life balance in a way that certainly wasn't available, even, yeah. you know, even my last startup, Real yeah, Sport, yeah. you know, it just wasn't wasn't feasible. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a good thing. And I, and I think, you, you, you know, you would have people on your senior leadership team or you've probably lost staff members in the past right to people like you know if you go back to that working environment where mm. it was pre-pandemic you've probably lost staff members to say oh no i'm, I'm going to go traveling but you know mm. for a month or, or two months yep. now you might be able to give them the flexibility or the yep. option of, of of oh no you know would you be willing to take a three-week holiday here yeah, or, yeah. you know would you be willing to work abroad for a month so you can give people that option whereas previously you wouldn't have had that option absolutely well we just did it for one of our top performers didn't we spent yeah, the yeah. last five weeks traveling southeast asia yeah exactly um and it's probably one of the reasons we have such a strong uh staff retention rate yeah. you know 96 percent yeah uh strong staff retention rate because you know we do those things i want to i'm actually going to uh take back have we got time what's the, the yeah we've got time okay yeah. there is a question i want to ask you actually yeah. uh going back to your journey before we do the last two mm -hmm. other questions so obviously you joined that last startup at about 25 people mm -hmm. with connected you were number 11 
number 11 but what 11th in or 11th in yeah but were there 11 people at the time you joined I think there may have been two people in India so if you classify them I guess fine yeah, fine okay yeah. interesting yeah. I guess we grew a little bit quicker than I thought I yeah. felt you were like the fifth person in. no sixth no, person no. In, not quite no, no. <laughs> it probably just shows how a little attention I pay to things but obviously very very different yeah. um, to being 25 people yeah. as being you know 11 people yeah. what was that like as an experience and um, yeah you know what, what, what how different does that feel 10 to 25 people 10 to 25 it doesn't it, it, doesn't, it doesn't it doesn't sound the size that we're at now it feels like it's such a small difference yeah. but actually at the time it's yeah. such a big difference right yeah I, I think 10 is 10 is really good and really hard in the same breath and I'll break it down into the the, 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 the two so really hard in, in the sense of you have literally got no support in mm. the sense of your marketing team or division so you have to be really you are the division you are yeah. the division <laughs> and you you have to be really careful about how you plan those resources so if i'm coming to you and i'm asking you for two three hundred pounds in those days and i select a designer and i get the wrong designer then i'm bang in trouble mm. before i i kind of start in relation to asking for more budget and being entrusted with that because i think you want to when you're running that department by yourself everything that you do needs to be on point and mm. you know when i when i think about good brands and uh, they're they're the ones that execute across all of the channels really really well so mm -hmm. you think about people that i know this is going away from the question a little bit but those people that scale and can still do all of their channels really really well are to me the most impressive people but i think the thing with the really good thing about being you know the 10 or employee employee number 11 is that you really get to be able to shape the culture mm -hmm. you, uh, within that organization before you suddenly scale up to 25 50 or 100 and you can be setting that yourself within the division but also within the wider business and you can see what is is, is driving this really close to that individual so i can work with you or i could work with claudia and i could see like okay how does this individual respond what types of reports how do, how does he want the data to be collected what are the things that are important to him i could do that because i'm literally sat next mm. to you in the office every day mm. whereas at 25 there's it, you start to break out into those different yeah. teams so it's a little bit more difficult yeah it's interesting i yeah. my favorite size like that 12 13 people yeah. like it's just such an amazing time yeah. where it's like you know you've gone because obviously when you're first starting a startup yeah. it's just yourself maybe one other person like the idea of having 13 people is <laughs> on you're just like we are doing everything yeah so it's just the most unbelievable feeling and it's like because you know you're getting somewhere yeah you know when you're at that level yeah As, assuming that you're not just hiring yeah, to, yeah for ego where you're like yeah, yeah we got 15 people and you yeah. can't afford it yeah, and yeah. you know you're about to, to <laughs> yeah. run out of cash but when you're at a stage where actually you can sustain yeah 13 14 people it's like okay we've got something here yeah. and it's the flow of information is still so quick as you said yeah. like everyone's around one table at that point still yeah and um yeah it's such an exciting part of, of startup that point and it's funny because like now that we're scaling really quickly and mm -hmm. i think what this time last year we were maybe like 35 mm -hmm. maybe less yeah. maybe less yeah. now now touching 90 95 yeah. yeah and um but you know that so you're 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 adding 60 people in one year let's mm -hmm. say uh but it took us from i mean i started working on connected very late 2019 
you joined basically late 21. Mm -hmm. So it took us two years to go from one to 13 mm -hmm. and then two years from 13 to 90. Mm -hmm. Right, let's say. I mean, maybe mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, roughly, yeah. roughly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's um, and it's so funny. Like uh, almost like the business year one, because there's no one there. Almost like it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because it's just your tree falling in the woods. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. like there was no one there, and it's yeah. almost like that time doesn't even count. And it's yeah. that's why like sometimes it feels like a blur. And probably the same with that first year of 13 people, mm -hmm. where it's like the business is so different to what it does then. Mm -hmm. It's almost like it didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Is I, I, and when the question over to you, like when you were first making those, okay, so say you've got to, you've scaled to like five employees, like how do you go about selecting those, those next key strategic mm. hires, like and making that leap between five to 10, like for instance, when you're looking for the commercial individual mm. within that organization, like oh, what did you look for? Did you do yeah. it through recruiters? Did you draw back on your previous experience and were like, this is somebody that I, I feel like I could work with again? Like, how, how did you do it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a really great question. And I think, you know, the, that first year when it is sort of three, four people, mm -hmm. you have no idea really what you're doing, what yeah. the business is going to yep. be. So you know that you've just got to hire super generalists, yep. people who are just going to like, do the hard work and you've got to stay really transparent with them mm. this is where i failed for sure like i you know maybe didn't realize how much transparency i should have had about saying guys look you know you're, you're team generous now but you need to be thinking about once once we graduate to specialists mm -hmm. like what are you specializing yeah, in? yeah what yeah, are you yeah. refining yep. in? um so you you would i would never try to hire someone like yourself and that's even though you'd be fully capable of yeah it, yeah you you it would be a, a waste of your talents yep on that side of things. Um, but then it's all about, okay, you know, once you understand the type of business it, business it is, where you're getting early traction, like, so mm -hmm. for me, it was, you know, LinkedIn. Yeah. That was something you had so much experience in. It was like, okay, cool, this is the exact person we need yeah. now. Um, and then obviously it's good people that you can spend time with, that you trust, that you like, that you mm -hmm. feel are gonna do the hard work, understand what it means to be mm -hmm. at that stage of company mm -hmm. as well, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, man, super fucking exciting. Great yeah. journey, great yeah. journey. On to right. Miami now. Yeah. All right, two, last two questions for you are, um, what does it take to be successful? Um, yeah, I think I think going back to the phrase that we used before, like talent gets you through the door and then hard work keeps you there. I think it's quite a simple phrase, but I think those like core components are always hard work, you know, and, and that hard work doesn't necessarily need to be the hours like we discussed before in relation to working, you know, 60, 70 hours every single week. It can be... I think that used to be the traditional way, mm -hmm. particularly when I worked in an agency that was defined as, as success. But I think it's about making sure that you educate yourself as much as possible and go to a education doesn't need to be going to events or listening to podcasts or, or research. It can be right. Okay. You've sent across this piece of information. I'm going to go and interrogate that f at a deeper level and I'm going to come back and I'm going to come back with this recommendation. Like, as a as somebody who's leading a team, I'm looking for those people that want to go to a a more granular level and challenge me and say, right, this is the way that you're doing it now, but I want you to do it at a deep level. And with that, it's research and it's hard work and it's looking at those numbers as much as possible. And I think that those are the things that make you successful in the marketing team. Anyway. Yeah, love that, love that. All right, my last one for you is 15-year-old Ollie walks in the room right now. What are you going to tell him? Uh, shit loads of stuff <laughs> for him to speak about his OCD uh, straight away and, and yeah. get that under control but I think out, outside of that I think 
yeah, having an understanding of like how to control your thoughts and, and, and emotions. Like uh, I feel like if I had a greater grip of that, I would be an even better employee when I when I first started. I'd be a, a better, you know, football player when I was sort of fifteen or, or, mm. or, or sixteen. So I think being able to control those thoughts and, and understand my emotions which were mm. uh, all, all over the place when I was at, at that age I think is, is really really key uh, and I think being able to harness that and understanding and reflecting on that over the past sort of 10 years has really helped me yeah I love yeah. that man where can people find you uh, they can find me on LinkedIn Oliver Toffee as we were saying before mm-hmm. um, but yeah just uh, not not about me just follow the connected social pages there you go nice little plug and big risk energy of course love that Oli you're a legend thanks so yeah. much no worries mate Thanks for watching the episode. And if you haven't subscribed, please hit subscribe below so that you can support the podcast and we can keep on bringing you amazing new guests. If you want to see the other amazing episodes in this podcast, click into our series section. As ever, if there are any other guests or topics you want us to explore, just let me know in the comments and we'll do our best to bring someone in.